Hey, we're in a series called Rise Up. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, um, if you have an analog Bible like mine, it's on page 398. It's been a while since I've made that joke, so I thought I'd go ahead and pull it out this morning. Nehemiah comes after Ezra, comes after the book of Chronicles, comes after Kings, comes after 1 Samuel. So it's right there in that uh, area. If you will, look at Nehemiah chapter 2 with me. And I want to read verse 18 of chapter 2. This is our series scripture. Nehemiah um, says this, I told the people of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. I don't want to preach this too long, but, but I want you to understand that Nehemiah is saying God said. And, and that's an important statement um, that you should never just flippantly or casually say. If you say God said, you better know that you know that you know that he said. But when he says, then you can stand and you can speak with confidence. Nehemiah told of the hand of his God that had been upon him and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened. Watch this. This it was more than words, more than just something that they said. The Bible says so they strengthened their hands for the good work. I, I want to preach a message today called Get the Gate. Get the gate. We have um we have this little 18 pounds of fur named Shep. We are, I, I'm extremely creative, um, and, and so I have an Australian shepherd, he is a mini Australian shepherd, and we went way out on a limb and decided to name him Shep. It's easy to remember, and, uh, and, and, and it's easy to yell at him from across the room, and so <laughs> there are times when, when we let Shep outside, when, when our children and or my wife, it's very rare that I let Shep outside, I normally holler for somebody to get your dog, and so, uh, when, but when we let Shep out, my wife constantly says this phrase, get the gate, get, get the gate, check the gate. Make sure the gate's closed because our backyard lines up to another group of children and, and they'll just run back and forth between our, our yards and they'll leave the gate open and then they'll come out into the front yard and, and if the gate is open, then, then Shep, he, he likes to go out of the gate. Come on, so just he, he likes to be free, y'all. And, uh, and actually Thursday morning uh, when we opened the door, uh, Shep, Shep saw a squirrel. And uh, he's mad at them, y'all. He's, he's mad at squirrels like I'm mad at ducks. And he just, he took off. And the squirrel took off. And the squirrel ran across the road. I know, right? You're scared. No, everything's okay. And he ran across the road. And Megan's yelling at Shep. And he runs. And he's running, but he doesn't see the ditch. <laughs> and so he runs and he's just, whoa, boom, he hits the other side and he's, he's still limping around. It's not broken because I've messed with his leg and I can't make him yelp. And he is a sissy. If it was broken, he would yelp, I promise. But he, he ran out in an area that he wasn't supposed to be in because the gate was open. We used to have the opportunity, used to have the opportunity to go 
and, and deer hunt at a high fence. And for those of you who don't know what that means, where have you been in your life? Okay, so what that means is there's, there's some great animals in this thousand acres, a couple of thousand acres worth of, of high fence. We were in Brownwood, Texas for this high fence, and we had a chance to go to go cull deer. Well, I had been raised with my stepdad enough to know um, that when someone drives up to a gate, they don't even have to say anything. I had heard this phrase, hey, get the gate. I, I could be sound asleep. Hey, boy, get the gate. Yes, sir, I'm getting the gate, you know, because I get the gate so that he can drive through the gate. And then even more importantly, after we drive through the gate, I close the gate. Because I open, here, listen, I open the gate to let in what I want to let in. And I close the gate to keep in what I want to keep in and to keep out what I want to keep out. Because you don't want to be responsible for a 12-point running down Main Street because you left the gate of a high-fence piece of property open. I'm preaching a message today called Get the gate. Let me start by saying this. God's covering will often challenge our comfort. Nehemiah was comfortable in the palace. He was comfortable in his position. He was comfortable. But God had a call upon his life. And I have seen, I almost, I almost wrote will always challenge. But I have seen that God I have seen that God can use contentment and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to cover us. I've seen that. But I have seen more and experienced more often that when God gets ready to provide a covering that we do not currently have, when God begins to get ready to use us to provide a covering for someone else, that they need and that they do not have. He will call us, hear me, out of our comfort so that he can provide his covering. I could give you examples of when I, when I realized I was in the will of God, when I realized I was out of the will of God, when God asked me to do something simple and it took me a little longer. I could sense. Now listen, I'm not talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about the covering of God. And, and these people, these people had become so comfortable that they were willing to sacrifice the covering. The people of Jerusalem, they had been there so long without gates, without walls, that they had become comfortable living their lives without God's covering. And in order for them to have the covering that God wanted them to have, somebody had to get uncomfortable. Somebody had to move outside of their comfort zone in order to be used by God to provide the covering that he wanted to provide. And God used Nehemiah. Interesting, Nehemiah, Hebrew, help me, Jesus, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. 
It means, I didn't know this when a month ago I said Nehemiah had to leave the comfort of his palace to provide a covering for the people. But Nehemiah means God is my comfort. It was why he was able to leave the comfort of the earthly king to answer the call in the comfort of his heavenly king. He understood that this palace was not his comfort. Oh, I could preach here for a minute. He understood that these finances were not his comfort. He understood that this economy was not his comfort. He understood that these politicians were not his comfort. He understood that this king's food was not his comfort. I could go on for days. He understood that where he was was not what was providing his comfort, but who he was was providing his comfort. His name meant my God is, my, Nehemiah was a one percenter. If he were alive in the U.S. today, that means he would be a billionaire. And he left it all. He was a one percenter in the kingdom of Persia. The only person closer to the king than Nehemiah was the queen, or queens. <laughs> he was a one percenter. And he left all of those things. He was the rich young ruler that Jesus was talking to. But instead of walking around sad because he had many possessions, come on, Nehemiah walked out, sold out for whatever God possessed. Nehemiah was willing. Number one, if you're taking notes today, and if you're not, we always recommend that you do. Before... Before Nehemiah showed up on the scene and started telling everybody what to do, number one, before I begin to share with people what I believe they're supposed to do or what I believe God has told me, I need to examine before I act. Think back, think back to Nehemiah in, in chapter 1 and 2. And Nehemiah was standing before the king. Nehemiah was standing before the king. He was in the palace of the king, and one of his brothers came in. I believe the Bible called him Hanani, and Nehemiah just asked Hanani, Hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? And Hanani began to share how badly things were going in Jerusalem, and the Bible says that Nehemiah dropped to the floor and wept bitterly. And, and he began right there to fast and to pray continuously. Nehemiah, the first thing that he did when he sensed the burden of God, which is where we ended last week, is he prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Guys, I want you to notice that prayer was not his last resort. And we say this almost every year as often as we can. But prayer, let, let me even fix this. I don't even think prayer should be our first resort. Prayer should be our common practice. But when we haven't been praying and something arises, specifically something like this, certainly as a first response, we should do what Nehemiah did and we should go to the God of our comfort and pray. I believe before we react, we should pray. Come on, y'all hone in for a second. I believe before we post, we should pray. I believe before we speak, 
we may want to consider a Nehemiah prayer. The kind of prayer that Nehemiah prayed when the king said, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah could have jumped up and said, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. And that would have not been a good idea. Would have probably cost him his head. (laughs) It costs you your witness every time that you do it. Nehemiah, the Bible says, when the king asked him a question, he didn't jump up and respond. He didn't jump up with an emotional reaction. The Bible says, so he prayed before his God. Nehemiah prayed and then Nehemiah prepared. Remember, before he ever showed up on the scene and started making proclamations and started telling everybody how to produce and what to produce and and putting the pressure on people, Nehemiah prepared. Four months, the Bible says, he fasted and prayed. Four months. Moses spent 40 years, 40 years on the backside of the desert preparing to to accomplish the will of God. He didn't even know he was preparing. He was just doing what God had done. He was just staying where God had placed him. Running away but being prepared all the same time. 40 years. What about Jesus? We want and we expect in our culture to go to college for four years and then minister and accomplish everything that God has for us for the next 40 years. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus prepared for 30 years to do three years of ministry that would affect all eternity for all time. It was his preparation and it was his prayers that gave him the ability to even conceive this, last, this next part, God's plan. You would think after praying and fasting and preparing for four months and then traveling hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem that Nehemiah would show up with an edict from the king and a word from God and say, Hey! God has sent me. That's not what happened. The Bible says he showed up on the scene and for three days he examined those walls. He looked at those gates. And he prepared a plan. Now listen, sometimes God tells us to do things that we're not planned for. Sometimes God tells us to do things we're not prepared for. But I want you to notice that Nehemiah examined for three days. He wasn't lackadaisical. He wasn't lazy. He didn't shoot from the hip and call it the Holy Spirit. He invested in what he believed God had called him to. He didn't do a a last minute lackadaisical, lazy, unplanned hoorah and call it spirituality. That's not what happened in this story. He prayed, he prepared. And he planned for three days. He walked around and looked at those walls. And then finally, he began to produce. Please notice how Nehemiah went through this process. In a culture that puts the pressure of productivity on us from the time that we wake up to the time that we lay down, I want you to notice that Nehemiah took the time, number one, to pray. 
number two, to prepare, and number three, to plan. Before he ever produced anything, did you know that you can be extremely busy and never produce anything eternal? Ask Martha. Jesus looked into the eyes of the one that was succumbing to the society's pressure to produce. And he said, Martha, 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 you are worried about productivity. But I'm telling you that Mary has chosen the greater to sit in my presence. Now look, that doesn't mean that we just sit around with Jesus and we use that as an excuse to be lazy while we watch everybody else work. That junk don't fly with me. You're not going to watch me work. I don't like work enough to let you watch me work. If I'm working, you working. <laughs> if we're working, we're going to work together. But if we don't value, hear me, the time to set aside and examine ourselves, examine our prayers, examine our plans, then we will make mistakes that we didn't have to make and cause consequences that we didn't have to cause. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Before you post, before you respond, before you text, before you message, before you react, before you speak, before you plan, before you produce. Examine to see whether you're following your feelings or you're following your faith. Is it my flesh wanting to respond or is it my faith wanting to respond? Test, this is, this is so good. Test yourself oh we can test everybody else really good at noticing what everybody else needs to fix but Paul says test yourself listen you need to know who you are you need to know how God created you it's why today in the second step of next steps We'll take a DISC personality test, a DISC analysis of our personality to see how God has created us. And then we'll take a spiritual gifts test to see where God designed us. And we will understand that that design is a reflection of God's destiny. i give you examples, but to make it valuable for your time, you need to know how God created you. Work on your weaknesses and strengthen your strengths. And stop comparing who God created you to be to who God created somebody else to be. Because comparison will kill your calling. Comparison will rob you of the joy that God had for you. Test yourselves. Or, or did you not realize this about yourself that Jesus is in you see it doesn't matter what you're doing it matters that you're doing it for Jesus it doesn't matter what level of leadership that you're in 
it matters that you're following Jesus to lead in the right direction. Jesus is in you, unless, unless um, you fail. Not, not you fail the test. It's not what he says. What he's saying is, unless you fail to examine. Unless you fail to meet, to meet the test. To meet it. It's already there. God just wants to show you. But if you don't take the time to examine, then you fail. You don't fail the test. You fail the testing of yourself. Because you didn't take time to examine. And so now you have to learn a lesson. Number two. I believe we can expect opposition. When God calls us and burdens us and positions us, I believe that we can expect opposition. Hey, listen, if you expect it, then it won't catch you off guard. I've seen God call so many students into vocational acts of ministry. And the enemy will bring their friends and bring their family members. I mean, as soon as we're not even home yet, we get on the bus and they get cell phone service after a week of being at camp and having very little and, and very little access to their phones and very little service from where we were anyways. And they get on the bus, fired up for God, five minutes. Opposition, opposition, opposition. By the time we get home, they forgot their calling because they didn't expect opposition. Some preacher told them if they'd give their lives to Jesus, then everything would be good. And that's a lie from the enemy. The enemy wants you to believe that if you'll just give your life to Jesus, then everything else will be 70 degrees in sunshine. Or 60 in sunshine, if you're like me, 45 in sunshine. Come on, somebody. See, grass doesn't grow in 45. <laughs> Expect opposition. Here, look, you have two choices. I posted this earlier this week in, in just preparation for this message. And I don't post things so that they'll go, they'll go viral. I just post things when I feel like I can't get it off my spirit. I can't get it out of my heart. And so I just I place it there to see and hopefully it ministers to somebody. I posted that you really have two choices. You can either fight off. Come on. This is the good choice. You can fight off your flesh the world, and the powers and principalities of darkness. That's the enemy. That's what he uses. Your flesh, your temptations, not God's temptations. God's not tempted. Don't blame your temptations on God. It's you. You can fight off your flesh, the world around you, and the powers and principalities of darkness so that you can accomplish God's will for your life and live for Jesus. Or... You can fight off the Holy Spirit and live for yourself. But either way, you're going to be opposed. It's not whether opposition is going to come. It's whether you're going to fight the opposition and whether you're going to fight with the Holy Spirit or against him. Those are the choices. A or B. Expect it. Verse 19 I mean, I'm talking as soon as the people said, let us rise up. I mean, they had just prayed themselves out of service. Let us rise up and build. Let us strengthen our hands for the good work. Get out of the way. I'm hungry. As soon as they got out of the parking lot, 
The Bible says, Basambalet, the Horonite, that sounds horrible, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant. Isn't it funny who the enemy will send? Some little servant just messing people up. He doesn't even have any authority. He's just a little guy with a loud mouth. Shows up on the scene. He, he's just throwing everybody off of God's burden. And Geshem, the Arab. Oh, God, God's always going to send some religious nut. Sometimes he'll even claim to be Christian. Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Isn't it funny how the enemy will always take what God has said and turn it just a little bit to make it sound like something that it's not? Just like he did with the woman in the garden. Did God really say that? Is that what God said? He loves to twist what you think you heard from the Holy Spirit and talk you out of what you know God has already said. The Horonite, um, uh, the Horonite was a, someone, assumedly, from Beth Haran. It would be like um, someone from Eunice or someone from Lafayette, um, being a Louisianian, being an American. Okay? This guy was probably from Beth Haran. He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan leader. Who was the Samaritan? The Samaritans were the ones who were from the northern kingdom. You remember Solomon split the kingdom unintentionally by intermarrying outside of God's will for his life. And so you move down and the kingdom splits and the northern kingdom is actually captured by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom is captured by the Babylonians. And the northern kingdom Israelites began to intermarry with the Assyrians. And so they're referred to as Samaritans. Did you know that the enemy, the enemy will leave you alone as long as you will live for him and not Jesus? The enemy will, will leave you alone as long as you ignore the call of God on your life. The enemy will give you what you want. I said this a couple of weeks ago. He will give you what you want if it will keep you out of what God has. He will perform for you. The powers and principalities of darkness will leave you alone if you'll just keep going in the wrong direction. Come on, but as soon as you turn to Jesus and you start trying to follow him in the footsteps he's already ordained and ordered and will establish, the moment that you turn to him, the moment that you start trying to answer the call, the moment that you start trying to give, the moment that you start trying to serve, the moment that you start trying to lead, the moment that you start trying to share, preach, pray, Pray, prepare, turn your household back to the ways of the Lord. The moment that you make the decision for Jesus, here comes the foot soldier. Here comes the attack, the first wave. And if that wave doesn't work, here comes another wave and another wave and another wave. And he'll keep on fighting you. Here's what you can remember. When you are under attack and you can assume and acknowledge that it is the enemy, keep following Jesus because he would leave you alone if you weren't going in the right direction. Sambalat, Samaritan leader. His name, 
according to the Babylonian, means sin gave life. The exact opposite. This is Lucifer. The rebellion of your true identity. We see it all across our land today. People don't know who they are, so they just start choosing whatever they want to. Because they think that is what, they think that life and fulfillment is found in their choice. And in, in them getting to choose. Sin, my desires, my fallen nature, that's what gives me life. Sambalot is the voice of compromise. Tobiah. Tobiah is interesting. It means, it means Yah is good. Not Yahweh, not Adonai, not El Shaddai, El Bethel. No, 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 not, not the Hebrew God, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just God. Little g God is good. This is the voice of the counterfeit. I told you, Tobiah is nothing but a servant. He has no authority. He has no influence. But he is the loudest voice. He's just a select, he only represents a few people. And he really doesn't even have any authority. But because he's the loudest, he gets the most attention. Does that sound familiar? He doesn't even really have a great big following. And if all of the other people would actually come together and live out what they believe to be God's calling for their life, then he wouldn't even really have a voice. But because everybody's kind of shaky on what they really believe anyways, they let a servant start speaking louder than the saved. Tobiah, Yah, the counterfeit, Geshem. The Arab, and I'm not, a, I'm not a, I don't not love Muslim people or, or Arab people. That's not what I'm saying at all. This was a chief Arab. I don't believe in that doctrine of faith. I, I don't believe in their, the, the ways of the Quran. The chief, the Bible calls it, the chief Arab. Scholars referred to him. His name means storm, rainstorm. So what was supposed to be provided to soften up the ground and make the work easier, what was supposed to be provided to make the land pliable is what this person is using to cause chaos. So Sambalat was the, was the voice of compromise which is a familiar voice in this culture. It's a, and unfortunately, here's the unfortunate aspect of this whole thing. It's a familiar voice in most worship centers. It's not just a familiar voice in the culture, it's a familiar voice in the churches. Because we have become complacent and we have begun to compromise. One of our, our members recently said he was having a conversation with an atheist. And, uh, and, and the atheist said, you know what the biggest difference between you and me is? And, and the individual graciously um, didn't respond with the obvious. <laughs> the atheist said, the biggest difference between you and me is my friends still live just like me. But your friends live more like me than they live like you. It's the voice of compromise. The voice of the counterfeit. 
and the voice of chaos. Watch Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah was unswayed in the midst of the opposition that arose against his assignment because he didn't have an agenda. He had an assignment. I'm going to have to preach that another week. I don't have time. Verse 20, Nehemiah, I replied to them, the God of heaven, not your God, not your counterfeit, not your compromise, but the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no portion, right, or claim in Jerusalem. Sometimes we need to surround ourselves with some new people, some people who will not just support us when we sin with them. Some people who will not just make us feel better when we fall just like them. Sometimes we need to surround ourselves with people who can see beyond where they are. Sometimes we need to surround ourselves with some people that we might not have even been around if it hadn't have been for Jesus. But because God has called us to this place, we're meeting some new people. And we're growing closer to God with some new people. The old friends that we had that don't want us to follow Jesus, but want to feel better about their fallenness and try to convince us to fall with them, need to be removed and replaced by the ones that would confirm our calling and call out our compromise. Surrounding yourself with people who understand that God has called you to something greater than you are currently living. Nehemiah was able to stand against the opposition. Why? Because he had a letter from the king and he had a word from the king of kings. I want you to notice that Nehemiah didn't pull the letter out of his pocket. He wasn't there with an assignment from an earthly king. Nehemiah spoke up to the people because he understood that when I kneel before the king of heaven, I can stand before any king on earth. And if I can stand before a king, I can stand before a servant. If I can stand before a king, I can stand before anybody else that may rise up from another kingdom. If I can kneel before the king of kings, when opposition arises, I can stand because I have a letter and I have a word. And when others begin to bow to immorality and complacency and when compromise begins to rise in my house I can take a stand and I can remember that people didn't put me in this place and people didn't promote me to this position I wasn't praying for four months to another person I wasn't preparing for four months with another speaker I was sitting with the king of glory kneeling before the God of my creation and so when I bow before the king on earth he was able to give me a letter so that my king didn't take him out so I don't come with a calling of authority by any man in this land I come to accomplish the will of the king of heaven that's who he spoke he didn't say anything about the king or his letter he said my God will make me prosper because he's my comfort. Before I build walls, number three, 
renovate the gate. Now, I called the sermon Get the Gate because I thought it was funny, especially when Shep ran out and hurt his leg. <laughs> it was like confirmation, poor little dude. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what word to use right here, and then I, I thought of, of sitting, writing this last point, and, and I just heard the word renovate. And I stuck with that because, because to renovate, I think of a, I think of a, a, a home or, or a vessel or an entity an, or an organization or an individual. And I, I, think, of, I think of something that's, that's just torn down, it's worn down, it's, it's forgotten its calling. It, it used to have this great covering over it. But, but over time, the, the shingles began to tear. And, and what used to be a covering became an opening. And somebody has to go in. And they have to get rid of all the rot. They got to get rid of all the broken stuff. I'm good at this part. That's not even work to me. Don't give me a drill. Give me a sledgehammer. Come on, somebody. But demolition is just as important to destiny as the rebuilding is. In other words, you can't start the renovation until you remove what needs to be removed. That stuff can't stay. Oh, we'll just build around it. You'll pay for it later. Before you can start stacking up the bricks or repairing the outside, you've got to get to the inside where it really is going to make a difference. Before you start rebuilding the wall, establishing the boundaries, being open and accountable, being protected and covered. Somebody has got to take the time to renovate the gate. Because a wall will surround you. But the gate is where the evil comes in and goes out. It's where the right things come in. And the wrong thing's got to go. Before you can rebuild, you have to renovate. You've got to remove the things that are not supposed to be in that place. They started their renovation with the sheep gate. Do you know why they started the renovation with the sheep gate? Because the sheep gate was the closest gate to the house of God. And before you start rebuilding every other gate, you got to get the temple right. Before you start worrying about what's coming in from the back door and the side windows, you better make sure what's coming through the television You better make sure what's coming through the radio. You got to make sure what's coming through the device. 
is what it's supposed to be. Because if you don't fix the gate that is closest to the temple, then it doesn't matter what else you do. If the temple goes down, the whole city goes down. So you got to fix the gate. Chris, this is, this is overwhelming, man. I don't know if there's a lot coming in and out of my gates. I don't know how, if I know how to, how to fix this. If you read in chapter 3, you see 16 times this phrase, next to. Next to. Next to. Next to. Next to. Eliashib was next to. Zadok was next to. Joadah was next to. Next to. Next to. Hey, you don't have to do this thing alone. That's why we have a church. And that's why we have a Holy Spirit. Did you know that the name Nehemiah is not mentioned one time in chapter 3? In the first steps of the rebuild? God may be just calling you to lead something. To stand in the gap for somebody. And your job is not going to be to execute the initiative. It's just going to be to inspire the initiative. Everybody's mentioned. Nehemiah, not one time. 38 people in one chapter. Catch this. 42 different groups of people. 42. 38 individuals. Nehemiah's not mentioned one time. How are we going to renovate the gate? How are we going to do all this work? We know we need it, but we got comfortable without it. Here's how we're going to do it. T-O-P. I didn't even write this on purpose. I was just writing points. And I was like, I just spelled top. Thank you. That was so cool. Why don't you do that all the time? <laughs> how are we going to do it? We're going to do it together. That's how we're going to accomplish God's will. For your life, by the way. We're going to do this together. How else are we going to do it? One at a time. You ever heard, heard the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? I'm like, I don't eat elephant. I eat deer and elk and moose. So I relate to the moose because I've never gotten to have moose. You don't have to bring me any moose. I'll get some one day. Don't, don't, it's okay. I don't even know if I have room in my freezer right now. But how do you eat a moose? One bite at a time. How are we going to fix these gates? How are we going to fix this wall? God, how are we going to do this? We're going to do it together. Calm down. Calm down. And then we're going to do one at a time. One step at a time. One day at a time. One friend at a time. One family member at a time. And then finally, we're going to prioritize the most important. Oh, i got to read you this last part and I'm going to be done. How do we fix this? Jesus, 400 years later, Jesus, the Son of God, is standing at the sheep gate that Nehemiah saw built first. He's just a few, he's just a few steps from the temple that Ezra led the people to build. Just 400, 400 years later. That's older than America. You look at Scripture, you don't realize it doesn't seem that far. It's like, oh, it's only four, just 400 years later. Jesus is standing at that same gate. You know what it means? You know what that tells me? That tells me they built that thing right. 
Those walls are still standing. That temple's still there. Jesus could stand at that gate. Jesus is standing at the sheep gate that Eliashib built. John chapter 10, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. If you try to sneak over this wall, if you try to sneak over this wall rather than going through this gate, you're a thief and you're a robber. In other words, you can't become God's house unless you come through this gate. You try to sneak over the, there's no, there's no other way to the house. There's no other way but right here. Doesn't matter what else you do, you can't get in this gate. You can't get in this city without coming through this gate. Verse 2, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Come on. Hey, he didn't say you were saved. He said you were shepherd. He didn't say you just got to be a part of the sheep fold. He said you're a shepherd. I'm calling you to more than just being saved. I'm about to make you like me is what he's saying. Verse 3, the gatekeeper, somebody get the gate, opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize, oh, that God would raise up some gatekeepers in the house of God. That somebody would raise up some gatekeepers on LSUE. Somebody would raise up some gatekeepers in Eunice, Iota, Mamu. Somebody would raise up some gatekeepers in Opelousas and down to Crowley. That somebody would raise up some gatekeepers in Basile that would get the wrong things out and allow the right things to come in. That somebody would raise up that the Spirit of God would call you right now to become a gatekeeper in your house, a gatekeeper for your babies, a gatekeeper for your spouse, a gatekeeper for your friends. Can somebody just say, Lord, make me the gatekeeper, that I would be a gatekeeper for the people that you're about to put in my path, a gatekeeper for this culture, a gatekeeper for this community, a gatekeeper. Maybe it'll go over better in next service, but I'm praying that that God would create some gatekeepers that wouldn't just allow anything to come into the house, but they would examine, expect, and renovate. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come in. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 6, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand. What is he talking about? This dude's always trying talking about stuff. I don't even, what is he even saying? I was trying to rest. Man starts yelling about stuff. So he explained it. I tell you the truth. I love, I picked this version on purpose. Jesus said, I am the gate. In other words, I'm the only one that can get it out. And I'm the only one that can get it in. I am. This is the same I am. This is why this made people so mad. This is why people didn't like Jesus. Because Moses asked the burning bush, Who am I to say sent me when I stand before Pharaoh? And God said to Moses the same thing that Jesus is saying at the sheep gate. He said, Tell them, I am. I am the gate. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am. 
I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Verse 10. Sin doesn't give life. Sin's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I pray for the followers of Jesus in the room this morning. I thank you that your word is alive. Lord, right now, I pray that you would help us to examine. Examine ourselves, not not just get our things together. Examine. Are we praying, preparing, planning, producing the way that you would have us to? God, right now, I pray that you would raise our expectation and that we wouldn't become overwhelmed by the enemy. We would expect him and we would remember that greater is he that is in me. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to renovate the gate. Lord, let us tend to the things that are coming in and the things that need to get out. But God, right now, I pray for every person in here, maybe anybody listening online, that needs to receive you and your salvation, that needs to let you cleanse their temple, rebuild their gate, remove the things that don't belong and replace with the things that do. I pray for anybody who's not confident of who they are in you right now. I pray for them. And I pray that they would open their hearts to receive you and give you their life and never take it back again. Come on, if that's you, I want to invite you right now. Open your hands right where you are. If the Holy Spirit's been stirring in you, been irritating you, been burdening you, open your hands. The posture of surrender and reception all at the time. This is what it looks like to renovate the gate. To remove what doesn't belong and replace it with what does. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. Come on, let's say it out loud together. Jesus, forgive me for what I've let in. Remove what doesn't belong. Replace with what does. Holy Spirit, I invite you to be in me completely I believe you gave your life so I could live you shed your blood you paid for my sin but you were raised from the dead for me to be born again made new like you may I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward in Jesus name amen come on somebody praise God this morning